We're turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Of course, we're continuing our study of the life of Christ as seen through the eyes of Matthew. And we're going, of course, verse by verse, passage by passage. There's so much in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector chosen by Jesus to be one of the 12 apostles. And he gives us what we always say is people like to say, well, the gospels are the life of Christ. Actually, they're selected events from the life of Christ. And Matthew has chosen events to show us that Jesus is the king of the Jews. That's what it's all about. And we've seen, we've seen that already, and as we go through it, we'll see it more and more and more. As we've looked at this gospel, of course, we've found that there's a lot of familiar things in it. I mean, there's the birth of Christ and all those kind of things. Uh, we move now to chapter 3, and as we move to chapter 3, about 25 years has passed from chapter 2 to chapter 3. Jesus was about 2, 3, or 4 years old as we ended chapter 2, and now it's it's 25 years later, John the Baptist is over 30. Jesus is about to turn 30 uh, and, and begin their ministries. And this morning, we see the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's how we look at it. We see John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. As we look at carefully at John's message, and a lot of times people read the Bible, they just go, I don't even know what that means. You know, they just so he's out there saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What in the world does that mean? How does it fit? Well, we'll look at it and we'll see how that fits together. As we begin, let me just raise some issues just to think about some questions. What is the purpose of our lives? Why, why are we here? Why did God leave us here? What's baptism? Because that's, what, that's what's happening in this passage. What's it for? What, what does the word repent mean? Because he keeps saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? What was John's message? What is our message? How does all this fit together? We'll see it as we go through this morning. How, how would you describe yourself? Would you describe yourself by how you look and you'd say, well, I'm this size or I'm physically I'm this way or my hair is this color or I, I have this interest, I do this? How would you describe yourself? Well, this morning, we're going to see a description of the one everybody calls John the Baptist. We'll talk more about it in a minute. There's not Baptist in the sense like a Baptist denomination. There wasn't any such thing at that time. He's actually called John the Baptizing One. That's literally in the Greek, and it's just taken in that, and John the Baptist, because it's describing what he was doing. He was baptizing people. And we're going to look at a description of him. We're going to see a physical description of him. We'll get more details from some other places. But we're going to see his ministry description as well. And as we look at this one, we're going to see Jesus actually called John the baptizing one. Jesus said he was the greatest person who lived on the earth. That's what he said. So that's pretty powerful. We're seeing the one who is preaching in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the king. And so this morning we're going to see the ministry of the forerunner. We're going to see how it, how it all fits together. And let's think back before we get in the passage. In these last couple of weeks, we've been seeing, first of all, the birth of, you know, here's angel came to Joseph and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her, of course, is from the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus was born and we got that part. And then we got in chapter two where the wise men came. It's almost two years after Jesus was born and, and they came and they wanted to know whether one born king of the Jews and Herod, who was appointed king of the Jews, was really upset about that. They found out where the Messiah was supposed to be born, where he's supposed to be, and the wise men went down there and then left because they were warned. And then Jesus, uh, Joseph was warned by God in a dream, and they left, 
And then Herod killed all the boy babies, two years old and under, because he thought, I got to kill, uh, you know, I got to wipe out whoever that baby is. I got to wipe them out. And, and he, wasn't, of course, wasn't able to do it. Jesus and his family have come back. They were going to go back to go to Bethlehem. But they, the man by the name of Archelaus was ruling. They didn't want to stay there. So they've gone to Nazareth, where they originally lived. And we'll talk more about it in just a minute, about where Nazareth is and where all this is. So as we get to chapter 3, about 25 years have passed. And let me give you just, just sort of the breakdown of the passage, just to show you how it fits together. We're going to see, first of all, the ministry of John the Baptist. We call him that. His, we see his message, his description, and his appearance. When I say his description, his description from the Old Testament, and then what he actually looked like, his appearance. And then we're going to see the response to John. And it'd be a, it'd be, it's a shocking thing. Let me just say it. It's a shocking thing that all Jerusalem and the people all came out there. And they came to be baptized by him, and they were confessing their sins. What in the world is going on? So we begin by looking at John, and as I said a while ago, just remember John was six months older than Jesus. You know, when you think about it and you start making it real. See, sometimes you think about, oh, there was this guy named John the Baptist, and then there was Jesus, and there's Mary and Joseph and all that. But when you start realizing who they actually were, and he was this man named Joseph who isn't the father of Jesus, but he raised Jesus as if he was his father, uh, we kept seeing last week, take the child and his mother. It didn't ever say to Joseph, take your son. It said, take the child and his mother. So here's Joseph raising Jesus. And, and when you get to 12 years old, which you would, we've already passed that because that would have been in the Gospel of Luke. At 12 years old, there's, there's Jesus growing up. And all of a sudden, we're going to find that Jesus is 30. And we don't, Joseph must have already died. He's never mentioned again. And then you've got this guy named John, who is somehow connected with Jesus, somehow a relative, because Mary and Elizabeth, which is John's mother, they're connected in some way. And now we see picture about a 30-year-old man, maybe a 30 and a half years old, almost 31, and he's going to be doing a ministry. And then here's Jesus, and Jesus is 30 years old, according to the Gospel of Luke, when he starts his ministry. So that's what they think about, what they looked like. Think about what was going on. So we'll see it as we go through the passage. And Jesus lived in the northern part of Israel, and John lived in the southern part of Israel. Let me just show you this on a map just so you understand it. Of course, this is Jerusalem. This is the main city. It's still the main city in the whole world. Uh, Jerusalem is the capital of the world. When Jesus Christ comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's going to rule from Jerusalem as the king of the world. And so the capital of the whole world is Jerusalem. Here's the southern part of Israel. It's called Judea. And John grew up somewhere out in this region because this is called the wilderness of Judea. And there's the Jordan River. And he was doing baptizing people in the Jordan River. So he he had to be in this area. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which is in the north. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is right there, six miles from Jerusalem. And then when they came back, they were going to go to Bethlehem, but they decided, of course, because of Archelaus, they went to Nazareth. And so Nazareth was not a very big town. It was a very small town. And so when we think of Nazareth, we think it's famous. It's famous because Jesus grew up there, but it's not famous because of anything. In fact, when Jesus was told, when people started being told that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, some people said things like, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, that's just a little bitty town. It's not any big deal. And so Jesus grew up in the northern part of Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee. And John grew up in the southern part of Israel. And there's the Dead Sea. And of course, that's the Mediterranean. And that's, that's where they were. Okay, now he comes... John comes as a prophet, a prophet of God. And, and realize that this is the first time in about 400 years there's been a message from God. 
You understand that after the nation of Israel came back from captivity, uh, they came back and, and about 400 years have passed and there's been no prophet. There's been no one announcing messages. There's been no one giving direct revelation from God for 400 years. And out of nowhere, a guy appears giving a message from God. So it's, it's amazing. And I want you to see something. I want you to hold your place and just turn back in your Bible to the book of Malachi. Okay? That's the last book of the Old Testament, and you're in the first book of the New Testament, so I think we can do it. Just turn one book back. You can, and I want you to look at chapter 3, and what we see is a promise, a promise. Chapter 3, look at verse 1. This is God telling, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. This messenger will go before God. He's going to clear the way. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi says that God's going to send his messenger to clear the way before the Lord. Now, don't turn there, but I'm going to turn for you to Isaiah chapter 40. And it's Isaiah verse, chapter 40, verse 3. You don't have to turn there. Just stay right where you are. Listen to this. This is a prophecy from God. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up. Let every mountain and hill be made low. Let all the rough ground become plain. Let all the rugged terrain be broad. But the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together from the mouth of the Lord. This is the prophecy of a man who's going to come before the Messiah and announce the way. That's John the Baptist. Now, without turning to Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to tell you what happened. There was a priest. His name was Zacharias. And his wife is Elizabeth. And they're related to Mary somehow. And he goes in to serve in the temple because he's a priest. And they pick lots, and he gets to be the one to go into the holy place, the first room, and light the fire, make sure the fire is burning for the incense. This is a big deal. You got to do this once in your life if you were a priest. Maybe once in your life you got chosen to go into the holy place. And he gets chosen. His name is Zacharias. He goes in there. He goes, this is the greatest day of my life. Wait till I get home and tell Elizabeth. I got to be the one to go in. And as he goes in there and he's lighting the fire, an angel Gabriel appears at the right of the, of the altar there and says, you've been chosen by God. You will have a son. His name will be John. He will be the forerunner of the Messiah. That's Isaiah 40 verse 3. That's the promise. Your son will fulfill that promise and be the, the, the forerunner of the Messiah. And of course, Zacharias goes, how do I really know this? And the angel Gabriel says, first of all, he said something like this, do you not know who I am? <laughs> he said, I stand at the throne of God. And this is true. And because you hadn't believed me, you won't be able to talk until the baby's born. And Zacharias comes out and everybody says, how'd it go in there? And he went, can't talk. And 
for he goes home, so he writes down, tells Elizabeth they're going to have a son. The son's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. They're going to name him John. And sure enough, nine months later, the baby's born. When they name him, they come to Elizabeth and say, what do you want to name the boy? And he, she says, John. And they said, that's not right. Nobody's, nobody in your family is named John. So they go to John. They go to Zacharias and says, what do you want to name him? He writes John. And as soon as he writes his name John and the baby's born, he can talk again. And he knows this boy is the forerunner of the Messiah. And now we are 30 years later and John the Baptist is out in the wilderness as the forerunner. So that's the priest and, and he's told that your son will turn many back to the Lord that he would make ready the people for the Lord. Well, turn to Matthew 3 if you're not back there already. Matthew chapter 3. Let's see what happens when John begins his ministry. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying... Now, in those days, literally it says, in those particular days, in a particular time, John the Baptist comes. Now, the one John the Baptist literally means John the baptizing one. That's what it really says, the one baptizing. Because he does something that most people don't do. He's baptizing. Let me tell you, Jewish people didn't baptize each other. They didn't baptize each other. They had a thing called a mikvah, which is if you thought that you had to cleanse yourself in some way. There was a mikvah, he called it, you could walk down in the water, it would come up on you, and then you'd walk out to the other side, and that was called a cleansing. But, but Jews did not baptize each other. And so here's John, the one baptizing, is baptizing Jewish people. And they're all coming out there, and he's baptizing them. So we're going to talk about it in just a minute, what that means. But it says, now, he was in the wilderness of Judea. If you remember, I showed the map while ago, and this is where he is, because there's the Jordan River right there, and he's baptizing people, and he's baptizing them in the Jordan River. So he's in this region, somewhere in there, and he's got this message. And notice what he says, that he's in the wilderness of Judea, and he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. That, you'd say, what in the world does that mean? What, what do we mean? Well, the word repent. See, so many people are confused, and they hear the word repent, and they think repent means turn from sin. It does not. The Greek word repent means a change of mind. Metaneo is the Greek word. Meta means after. Neos means minds. It means an aftermind. It means a change of mind. And so he's saying, change your mind, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's really saying is you need to get right, you need to change your mind, you need to believe because the Messiah is here, the king is here. So when we say change your mind, it's like this. If we said, Lady, let's go get ice cream. No, let's don't go get ice cream. We just repented. We just changed our mind. That's what it means. He's telling the nation of Israel, change your mind. They have not been looking for the Messiah. They've not believed the king is coming. They're worried about the Romans. They're hoping they can find somebody to whip the Romans. And John is saying, you need to change your mind because the king is here. The king is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is here. They needed to think differently. They needed to, to turn, in a sense, back to God and say, hey, Lord, we're, we are here for you. He wanted them to believe that the Messiah was there. And, and this is a message that dealt with the Messiah. And when you say the kingdom of heaven, by the way, the, the, there's a term that's found in the other gospels. It's called kingdom of God. Kingdom of God just means the rule of God. The kingdom of heaven is actually talking about 
the kingdom of God on the earth. Matthew is the only one that uses it because he's highlighting Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords who will rule on this earth. If you remember the chart, Jesus came and this is his first coming and this is where he's coming. He's offered himself as king. They're going to reject him as king. He's going to die on the cross, pay for sin, rise again, send back into heaven. One of these days he's coming a second time to the earth. This was the first coming. This is the second coming. When he comes the second time, he's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and the kingdom of heaven is the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. So John is actually telling them back here, king is here. The king is here. If they as a people group would have believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Savior, you know what would have happened? There would have had to be a tribulation because that was prophesied in the Old Testament, but there wouldn't have been a church. The nation of Israel would have accepted the Messiah, would have gone straight to the tribulation, and then we'd be in the kingdom. Because if you look in the Old Testament, there's no mention of the church. No mention. We've talked about that when we did the book of Daniel. So he's offering to the nation of Israel, the king is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you remember the, let me see if I, here we go. The first time Jesus Christ came, he offered himself as the king. He was rejected. He died and rose again. The second time he comes to the earth, he's coming to rule in righteousness and justice. So you have John out in the middle of the wilderness saying this message. Change your mind. The king is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wants them to believe in the Messiah, the Savior, the king, and, and come. That's, that's the plan. And then the writer, Matthew, wants us to understand uh, who he is. And he says, verse 3, For this is the one, John is the one, that Isaiah talked about. And he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So he quotes Isaiah, the one we read a while ago. So he's the voice crying in the wilderness. Listen, they came out to John, the religious leaders, all these people. We're going to see in just a minute. Hundreds and hundreds of people are going out in the middle of nowhere, and they're coming out there, and they're saying to him, we believe the Messiah is here. We're, we're trusting in the Messiah as our Savior, and we want to be identified with the Messiah because that's what he's doing. And we find some religious leaders went out there who didn't believe, and they said, what do you think you're doing out here? And they said, do you think you're the Christ? And he went, oh, no, no, no. Do you think you're a prophet? And he went, no, 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 no. Well, who do you think you are? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make the way ready for the Lord. That's what he's doing. They even said to him, if you're not the Christ or the Messiah, why are you baptizing? Because we don't baptize. Remember that? We don't baptize. And so just picture all these people coming out there. I mean, just think of if somebody was, was out, 10 miles out of town, out nowhere, and everybody from Stillwater and around, and th- we're just all going out there. And we'd say, well, th- he didn't even put up a tent or anything. He's just out there, right? And that's what's happening. And so it's really powerful. And they, they went back to him, and they said, well, what do you think you're doing? And so he is a man out in the wilderness. Now, let me raise this question then. What did this guy look like? What does he look like? He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What did he look like? Well, let me read the next verse. He says, Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. I don't think I want to eat what he ate. Do you? I mean, do you want to eat grasshoppers and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing? I mean, just, just whatever it was. Well, let me tell you who he looked like. He looked like Elijah. You know, he was a Nazarite. 
Not a Nazarene. Nazarene means somebody from the city of Nazareth. A Nazarite was a vow that people took. You could take it for 30 days. You could take it for 90 days. You could take it for your lifetime. Samson was a Nazarite. That's why he never cut his hair. One of that, being a Nazarite, you took a vow and you said, I will not cut my hair, I will not touch anything with grapes or wine, and I will never touch a dead body. That's what a Nazarite was supposed to do. Elijah was a Nazarite. Samson was a Nazarite. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. From his birth, they never cut his hair. He never drank wine. He never touched something dead. That was part of the deal of being a Nazarite. Now, normally for a normal Jew, if you were going to be a Nazarite, you'd be a Nazarite for like two months or three months or four months, and you let your hair grow, and then at the end of the time, you would shave your head again and offer that hair as a sacrifice and offer a couple of other things, and then you could go back to living normal lives. But John the Baptist, he was a Nazarite from birth. So picture this guy, 30 years old. He's never had a haircut. Don't tell him what he looks like. And what's he, he's wearing camel stuff around him and a leather belt. And, and he's saying, anybody want locusts? I got some locusts here if you'd like a little locust. I mean, think about this guy. He's, he, looks, he looks like Elijah is who he looks like. He looks like. That's what they thought. Some of them thought it was Elijah come back from the dead. You know, because remember, Elijah went up when he didn't die. He went on a flaming chariot. And so some people think, Elijah's come back. But he wasn't Elijah. And they ask him who he are. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And so in Luke 1.15, he says, He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, yet while in his mother's womb. That's when they knew before he was even born that he would be a Nazarite. So we had a job to do. Set apart by God to announce the coming Messiah. Let me ask you a question. What's your job? What's your job? What's my job? We've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. We have eternal life. We belong to him. We're a child of God. We are, we're in a church. Well, what's our job? Has he set us apart to do anything? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 5.20, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through us. We're supposed to be the ones in our community announcing the message of Jesus Christ, telling people how they can have eternal life simply by faith alone in Christ alone. So here's John. In the middle of nowhere, people coming, and he looks, he looks weird. And, and, and people who knew would say, well, I think he must be a Nazarite, because I don't think his hair has ever been cut, I'd, uh, and that kind of thing. Now watch what happened in verse 5. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and the district around the Jordan, they're all coming. I mean, it was wild, and I showed you this a while ago, but all these people, they're from Jerusalem and Judea and all around, they're all coming out there to see him. And what are they coming for? What are they coming? Verse 6, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Wait, why are they being baptized? Remember, they, do, they don't baptize because baptism is identification. And he says, to repent, change your mind. The Messiah is here and, and the king is here and I want you to come and believe in the Messiah and be identified. And see, baptism is for believers. They're supposed to come out there and say, I believe the Messiah and the King is here, and I want to identify with him. And so he would baptize them in identification. That's what it's all about. That's why they're being baptized. And we know the same thing. When you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, what are you supposed to do? You're going to get what? Baptized, because that's your symbol of telling people that you've put your faith in Christ. They were coming to be baptized, telling, basically showing people they believe the Messiah and the King is here, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's talk about baptism. We're going to go through it pretty quickly. 
When we talk about baptism, there's such confusion. And if I say baptism, almost every one of you think of water baptism. You think of, well, yeah, yeah, I saw, I saw somebody, they, we got them in water and we baptized them. You've seen that and you've seen the pictures and we, have, we do it out there. But why don't you understand the word baptizo, that's the Greek word. We've transliterated it into English. Baptizo means to dip or to identify. The word baptism means the idea that you connect, you identify. When people baptize something, if I had a white cloth and I have red dye, I dipped it down and brought it back up, now it's red. And so I've identified it with that. And so baptism doesn't mean to just like dip in water. It means to identify. And so these people have come out to be identified. And I want to show you something. I'm going to go through it very quickly. And if you want more information, you can come by my office because I've got a handout I can give you on this. But when we talk about baptism, there's two different types of baptism. There's what we call ritual baptism, which has to do with water. It's for identification. It's what people do. There is actually real baptism, real identification. Water is not involved. It's something that God does. So let me show you this. First of all, there's ritual baptism. The Jewish people, when a Gentile said, I believe in the God of Israel. Now, Jews didn't baptize themselves, but they baptized Gentiles. And if you wanted to identify with the God of Israel, you could be baptized, and it shows that you trusted in the God of Israel. It's a ritual. They actually used water. John the Baptist, John's message about the kingdom was to identify with the king and the kingdom, and the people were coming out, and he was baptizing them in the Jordan River in water, saying, you now identify with the king. When Jesus, Jesus came out to the Jordan River and was baptized to identify, and we're going to see it in a couple of weeks, how he identified with mankind and our sin. And then last but not least, there's the Christian one, where all of us in this room who've trusted in Christ, after you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, you got baptized, or you should have gotten baptized, to identify with the death and resurrection of Christ. Those are all water baptisms. They all have to do with identification. Now, there's real baptism, which has no water. And the first one that you find, when I say first, I've just got them listed this way. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 2, it says, the nation of Israel was baptized into Moses. We go, what in the world does that mean? That means they were identified with Moses. When the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, Moses was the leader. They identified with Moses and came out. That's found in 1 Corinthians 10, 2. Paul says that. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 22, he told the men, he said, can you uh, be, basically be baptized with the cup that I'm baptized with? Means are you got, his cup was to die. That He was talking about he was going to go die and pay for sin. He says, can you identify with my death and resurrection. And then we see where in Matthew 3.11, we'll get it next week, he says the whole, when Jesus comes, he'll baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That means identification with God's judgment. That's for unbelievers. And then last but not least is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Most people are confused on that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he places you in the body of of Christ. That's, this, is, this has no water. See, these are all what we call real baptism. And so for all of us, uh, when you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, He placed you in Christ. That's a real baptism. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then later, you were baptized in water to show your identification with Christ. So those are the, there are eight different baptisms as you look through the scripture. But in this one, we're seeing John's baptism. We're going to see Jesus and we're going to see some other things. So when we think about it, John's baptism was calling believers to identify with the king and the kingdom and to be baptized to identify with that. That's why they're coming out there. Religious leaders come out. We're going to see it next week. They come out and say, uh, we'd like to be baptized. And he said, who, who brought you out here? You don't believe in the coming Messiah. You don't believe in the king. He said, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Because they're not believers, and he knows it. 
And they just said, we like to identify with the king. You don't, you don't believe in the king. And we'll see that next time. So what was this message? Change your mind, identify with the king. We're preparing the way. And so John in the wilderness is announcing the kingdom. Let me ask you a question. He gave this message that the Messiah was there, the king was there, and whoever would believe in him would have life and be connected. We have a message. Our message is that Jesus Christ is the king. He is the Messiah. He's the one who died and rose again, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when the moment you trusted in him, you've been identified with him and placed in him. We have that same message, and we get to tell that message. So what have we seen? Beginning of John's ministry, crying in the wilderness, change, change your mind, make way, identify with the king, and the responses, people all over were coming out. So let me give you some applications so we can close, and that is let, let's realize that each one of us has a ministry from God. John's ministry was the voice crying in the wilderness. Uh, everybody has different ministries. We as believers have different ministries. Each one of you, based on your gifts, talents, abilities. But let me tell you this. We all have the ministry of reconciliation. We get to tell people how they can be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. So here's my question. Are you proclaiming the great message of Christ in this community? Now, it's easy to say, oh, I love church, and I'm here, and everything's fine, and then I go to work, and I'm, I'm, people don't even know I'm a Christian. I mean, I don't, you know, don't want to you know, offend anybody. Uh, listen, our job is to take this message in this community. We've got to do it. So pray for me that I'll do it. I'll pray for you that you'll do it. The second thing is let's do this. Let's tell people about the Savior and King Jesus Christ. John announced that the Messiah is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to see more as we go through the book. Jesus Christ came and said, all who believe in me will have eternal life. We get to tell people about Jesus Christ, so let's do it. And then last but not least, let's understand the types and purposes of baptism. Baptism means to identify we know that there's a ritual baptism that man does. There's a number of those. And then there's the real baptism, as that's how we call it, without water. It's what God does. And so as believers, when we trust in Jesus Christ, we are baptized, identified into Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's real. Then, as believers, we are baptized, talking about with water, to show our identification in Christ. That's ritual baptism. So I hope and pray that every one of you in this room have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're identified with him. You've been placed in Christ. And then I hope that all of us who have trusted in Christ, that if we have not already, we will show our identification publicly to other believers through a water baptism. We'll see that.